We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? Can can we just end the season already? Is <laughs> it's over? It's pretty much over. We got. I mean, two more games. Two more games. Two more games that were so important that they didn't put them on the schedule until like two days ago. Uh, so it's basically over. Joining us too, a writer for ArizonaSports.com uh, covers the Suns. Is at basically every home game. Kellen Olson. Kellen, how you doing? Hello, uh, I'm doing very well. I have on in the background Nikola Jokic versus Jaleel Okafor and a basketball <laughs> player by the name of Tyler Cook, who I just learned existed 12 minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, Nuggets are winning. Did you see that there is a player playing for the Clippers today whose last name is Scrub? <laughs> <laughs> His name is Jay or something. I, I think yeah. I want to say off the top of my head, the only reason I know that is because I follow some of the draft people like Ben Pfeiffer and all those guys. <laughs> and if they tweet about a person enough, I know who they are, but they've never tweeted about this Tyler Cook guy. So I'm like, oh, a rookie out of Iowa, apparently. Okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah this Jay, Jay Scrub guy, it seems like a two, like someone on 2K that was created uh, in, in a fake league in 2024 or something. It's it's a hilarious name, but yeah, they're they're clearly not really playing all their guys tonight. And just like Sam said, it's the end of the season. It's been a long season, even though it's been a short season. Uh, in that there was a ton of storylines. Sam has finally fully turned on Devin Booker. Shut up. Uh, that- <laughs> <laughs> that finally happened uh, right now. And, you know, Kellen, we had you on at the beginning of the year. 
right before the season started for our season preview. We talked about expectations for the season. Uh, it's not over yet. Still two Spurs games. I think a lot of people will probably be listening to this after those games as well. Uh, but just from a general perspective, uh, how has the season played out in your mind compared to your expectations? Better, for sure. And I'm not exactly sure outside of having realistic expectations for Chris Paul where I shot too low. Um, And I think I want to say, like, jokingly and not jokingly, part of it was just PTSD with past sun seasons where we got a little bit too high on ourselves. Um, But I'm not really too sure. I think there are, like, a couple of obvious answers. Like, Mikel has gotten better. When DeAndre has played well, he's been better than he ever was last year. Um, and, and then there's just all these other contributions are getting across the team. But it was kind of an uneven season. I've been one of the people at most, uh, the most, talking about how the bench saved them at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. And you just look at their contributions over the course of the season. Mikel's kind of having his best stretch of the season right now. Um, and then Cam Johnson had some really great stretches as well. And they've just gotten pretty much all of these across the this, this stage of the season They've just gotten high-level work from those eight, nine guys. I mean, Torrey Craig included in those nine. And then, I mean, if you want to talk about Javon, like how great he's been since he came back, basically, in the rotation. So yeah. I think maybe that's where I underestimated. Uh, I thought maybe top ten defense, but they wouldn't approach top five. Now they're trending more back towards top ten. But, yeah, to like answer the question, I'm, I'm not really sure uh, because I'm, I'm like curious where – where I was a little bit too low because I mm. thought they were going to be where the Blazers and Mavericks kind of are right now and the Lakers. I uh, remember. They're, yeah, they're up They're up in the contenders. Did you guys have them like more higher than me? You probably did. Mike was, had, lower Mike had them a little bit higher. I had them around the yeah, sixth third. Um, I said okay. third if they could stay healthy. But what we were all concerned about, I remember that podcast pretty specifically, and what you were concerned about, Kellen, and same with Sam and I, was the backup point guard position. Yeah. And, and that was the main thing I think that everyone sort of underestimated. And what we've seen is those minutes without Chris Paul and Devin Booker on the floor, you know, I think they're, they're in the net negative now at this point, but they're not in the net negative by a lot. Like it's a negative one or something like that. And the minutes without one of Chris Paul or Devin Booker with Cameron Payne have been really, really, really good. Like consistently good. I think, uh, you know, Chris Paul and, Cameron Payne playing together without Devin Booker, not a lot, but a really high net rating. Devin Booker and Cameron Payne playing together, I think that was a plus seven the last time I looked at it in net rating, which makes it, you know, if that was a team, that would be like the third best team in the NBA. So I think that's the main thing that we all underestimated. I mean, Sam, what do you think? Is that is that the main thing for you too? Yeah, I'll point out, I have like no notes for this discussion today except for one. And the one bit of research I did is uh, when campaign and chris paul share the floor it's only been 78 minutes this season a lot of those minutes have come in the past week i want to get at some point with kellen into a greater discussion about kind of just the last week and what it means if it means anything but in in those 78 minutes we've seen of paul and Payne together all season it's a plus 21.9 net rating campaign is shooting 63 percent from the field 56 percent from deep when he shares the floor with chris paul 
there's a, a an obvious dynamic value i think in in having multiple guys i mean it's pretty obvious but in having two to even three because we've seen some three guard lineups with the three of them um two or three guard lineups where all guys are, are capable of putting the ball on the floor putting their heads down driving to the rim self-creating in the in the way we typically expect from guards so um i i think those minutes have been have been really good and if you want to just kind of give effusive praise to to campaign i'm all for it um i want to quickly say kind of related to what kellen was saying earlier i think it's really telling when we talk to basically anyone who watches every suns game and and is like in the sun sphere is has been covering the team all season that contrary to what we see from from the national media none of us are able to come up with just a neat tidy narrative about why this season has happened i mean obviously you've got chris paul and you've got mikhail bridges improvement and you've got you know devin booker feeling more comfortable you can go up and down the line but case in point you look at a guy like dario Saric, and just the the massive amount of variance i think we've seen from the beginning of the season when we were talking about him as the best backup center in the nba at one point and like a top four player on the suns to today where he you know i mean literally he saw booze on the court last night after he after he missed those free throws um, in the Portland game, it's uh, just one example, but there have been a lot of examples this year of this team is all over the place. They're really good, but they're all over the place, and there hasn't been a defining narrative um, that's been easy for any of us to analyze, I think. Yeah, and to to kind of go off of that, Sam, I think that I, I I'm not really sure where we properly value this and properly don't yesterday's game is like a terrible example but with the the cam to like go to the those minutes i guess the chris paul campaign minutes i think a lot of the times we look past the fact that teams it, it sounds silly to say it in real time but teams are playing their own reserves in those minutes as well and like when you think about campaign and chris paul on the floor together you're like oh who are they guarding and then some, sometimes it doesn't matter right yeah. Like some sometimes it's not really that big of a deal. So when you hear that lineup, that's kind of where your head kind of naturally will stop it and say like that's why this isn't that good of an idea or, or whatever it may be defensively. But against certain matchups, aka most of them in the league, um, it's going to take a pretty dynamic roster that you're facing. Like uh, for example, if Portland's playing a must-win game, they're going to have CJ or Dame on the floor at all times, and so now one of those guys has to guard the other. But uh, Chris spent some time on Dame last night as well, I'm sure. Uh, and then, like, Mikel obviously helps patch a lot of that up, too. And I think that they've just found um, a rhythm with it. Cam being, like, a again, the, the crazy thing about campaign is you can talk about his last NBA say and all that kind of stuff. A lot of what's keeping him on the floor is his shooting. He's, I think, second or third on the team in three-point percentage right now. And that was not the case in his NBA career before that. He wasn't that good of a three-point shooter. Wow, he's, now he's doing more. You're no, sorry, you're Go right. Ahead. He's second. He's one percent behind Langston Galloway as of today. I mean, that, and and it's crazy, and, and that's on like a lot of pull-ups, a lot of step-backs yeah. recently too. It's it's nuts. Just a lot more volume in general. Yeah, yeah, and I don't I don't know how that happens. I don't know where that comes from and stuff. Um, it's it's so weird. Why the, can't the Booker do that? Can I'm sorry. Where, I know I know. By the way, it's where preparation meets opportunity, Kellen, don't you know? Uh, that, that's how it works. That's what Monty not, says. He's just not good at it. Lock it's, the two of them, okay. lock we the two of them in a he's, gym all summer and and have Payne teach Booker the secret. I don't know who he worked with, but can't be that hard. Come on. I think it's as I, simple as he shoots kind of a flat Kobe Bryant type shot and that makes it just, harder to make shots from further away. 
He's just right. not good at it. Um, yeah. yeah, Cam's I, got. I don't know what how else to phrase it. He he's great on catch and shoot numbers, and I wrote I wrote that super duper long piece uh, at the start of the year. And kind of my my pitch was basically Devin's going to take more pull up threes this or less pull up threes this year, and more catch and shoot with Chris setting him up, and we actually haven't seen that that much, um, and that hasn't been the case. So naturally, he's actually one of the worst three point shooters on the team this year. Because yeah. he's still taking pull-up threes. And again, I really do believe, I think he's probably like 34.5, 35, something like that right now. Yeah, that's, I looked at this yeah. that's his overall. Um, he's at he's at 30% pull-up, I checked today, by the way. And 37, <laughs> I think, catch and shoots, which is still down. And, and there's at least 30 of those attempts, which are the two-for-ones that he has never made once <laughs> in his career, I think, ever. Yeah, that's which, Chris Paul's like, job now. You want to talk about, like, all my cliche writings with, like, the, the story I had with Jamal Crawford quotes where it's like he only cares about winning. There's an example of not caring about or caring about winning. Just, like, saying, I'm going to tank my three-point percentage by a full percent and a half every year just taking these two-for-ones. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care. I'll just take them. Um, but, yeah, he's just, he's just not good at it, which is, is, is kind of simple in its own right. But, but to go back to pain, it's like he's – it's funny watching it if you guys talk about like uh, being at the games every year. I can honestly say, looking at the three point percentages like, a game or two ago, that I hadn't looked at them in like six weeks. And I think with like a team that's this good, that has as much consistency as it does, and I know that's funny to say when I said what I said before and, and the inconsistencies that have been in the team, but to my general point, I would have said off the top of my head, like, who were the top five three-point shooters, and, and they're those guys, right? We have a really good idea of who the three-point shooters are on this team and who aren't at this stage. Um, and that just kind of speaks to Payne's consistency of he is top three on my list of if he catches it in the corner, I think it's going in. Which it's yeah. him, how d- It's him, Mikel, and I guess of, like, the guys who play – Chris Paul would probably be third for me. How I did guess? we end up? It's not Jay. How did we end up in a space also where Cam Johnson is not one of those guys? It's like Jay. Yeah, and and oh, that's that's a great point. But to quickly answer Mike's Mike's thing on Jay, no, correct. Yeah, because he's he's <laughs> like thirty eight, thirty nine percent. But again, if you just look by the spreads, like volatility is off the charts. He will never be in my top three, even if he's a good three point shooter this year. I refuse. Well, it's interesting, too, that you talked about uh, Cameron Payne. It's just proof that the development isn't just this like singular linear line that just goes up. Uh, he just all of a sudden became really good at one thing that made his entire game a lot better. And, and we'll see if that happens for guys like Devin Booker or even like DeAndre Ayton, who uh, has developed a lot defensively. We still haven't seen like this massive development offensively for him. Maybe something like that can change over an off season. And I know that what happens with a lot of these teams, and I think it's something that I was looking forward to before the season. And now it's kind of interesting to consider. Now there's so much pressure on this playoffs. When I thought about this season before in my mind, I thought, okay, the Suns will make it into the playoffs. I think they will be a top six seed, right? That was the main goal. Don't have to play in the play in. And then the young guys will get a bunch of experience in the playoffs. They'll get an understanding of what they need to get better at with a massive spotlight on them, which always seems to make players, young players better. And then they'll come into next season having worked on those specific things because of how bright the lights are and how many people are watching and the pressure that comes with the playoffs. And it's, it's interesting that that's like not something that we talk about anymore because of how good they were. February and March, I think were the two months where everyone's expectations changed on this team and now the entire focus was on uh, how can they win a title this year. 
And I guess that's sort of stopped with the Lakers now potentially being in the play-in. How do you feel about their expectations this year, Kellen? Well, Mike, you're the person posting uh, worried faces about the Brooklyn Three being together as if the Suns <laughs> will potentially meet them there. So uh, here's, here's... That's non-Suns related for the record. Oh, come on. It's, they're going to No, that's, that's fair. I, I want to defend Mike there. Uh, yeah. It's like okay, yeah, if yeah. we are finally seeing that team with all three of them together, I don't think that's just a Suns thing. I think every Western Conference team should be crapping its pants. Yeah, I was, our Eastern I, Conference team or any team. I don't like look at most of the things I post and say like I thought that was really smart or something, but I, I did <laughs> genuinely feel that way about watching a Nets game and then tweeting like, yeah, okay, so there's there's two games a series where they're just going to hit shots and you can't beat them. It's going to be impossible. Just mm-hmm. two games already, you're done. So now you have to beat them in four of those other five games. Oh, I've been How beating, do you I've been do that? that drum too. Yeah. <laughs> don't uh, the way I, the way I look at it is. Uh, the way the playoffs tends to work is even if you play really, really great defense for 20 seconds, then you have a few second isolation at the end of the clock. And if that is going to be by one of those three guys every single time, which it should be, then how do you win? I, I just don't really see a way that any team could beat that. It's just impossible. I posted a stat yeah, the, yesterday just quickly of, I mean, James Harden, it sounds stupid, but like obviously he's not, he doesn't have an MVP case with, you know, that's this whole stupid conversation. But uh, it, it just the splits between when he plays versus when he doesn't play, it's, it's really ridiculous. The Nets are, when they play with James Harden in a clutch game, so clutch time, last five minutes of the game, scores within five points at some point, they close out 18 of those 20 games, they're 18 and 2, with an offensive rating of 129 in clutch time with James Harden, in games with James Harden is I said historical it's beyond historical mm-hmm. it's it's ludicrous it, that yeah. that you could even hope to beat that i mean defense really isn't even in the equation if you're if you've got an offensive efficiency of 129 in like a slow bogged down half court offense in the final few minutes of the game that is yeah. preposterous i i don't know if this is blasphemous to say but i said it on this podcast the guy that scares me the most on that team is james harden and i guess there's an argument to make that he's never done it in big moments in the playoffs, the way that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant have. But there's something about the level of unpredictability that comes with James Harden. I know everyone says he's just going to go to that step back. It's not actually true. He can do so many things with the ball, and he's so unpredictable when he has it that they become impossible uh, impossible to guard. It's just a, ter- it's a terrifying team. So, yeah, I guess, Kellen, yes, if the Suns made it to the finals, I wouldn't <laughs> be confident they're going to they're gonna beat the Nets. That's true. But that was more related to the fact that we're finally going to see them on the court together, and it's a terrifying thought. Yeah, to that to that point, Kyrie has like I feel like sometimes great players get stuck in this trap of being just known as great players, and it kind of gets lost. This is like my my Dame thing is like I tweeted last night, like, Dame's a superstar, like that he's one of the five, six, seven best players in the league. I think he's the best point guard in the league. Hot take. I just think the way that he sees the floor makes the right read almost every single time. Kellen. And the right pass every single time. That's Go a ahead. really hot take this year. That's that's I respect it. <laughs> that's a really hot I just take. Think I've always been so I think Chris Paul is arguably the best point guard of all time. Yeah, whoa. Whoa, I said it. Crazy with magic and all that stuff. Um, I think there's an argument to be made. I just I have and and where I stop and where I would probably say like Magic's up there for sure and where I probably should backpedal and go top three instead. I just value so much the floor general stuff, 
And while Steph is underrated in that regard, too, I just think Dame's, like, pure point guard play and, and the way he sees the floor makes the right decisions all the time, I just think he's even more underrated there. But to quickly move on from that and not get stuck in that nightmare conversation, <laughs> I, I was bringing that up because I think, like, Kyrie is Kyrie and Uncle Drew, like, he does crossovers and all that stuff. He's putting up 50, 40, 92 right now on his splits. He's averaging 27, 5, and 6. He's shooting 56% on his twos, and he's taking seven threes a game. It's wow. probably the best season of his career right now. So, I, I don't know. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the league, too, and I just feel like he's he's obviously the third best player of those three. But to treat him like that and not that he's still like a top 10, 15, 20, however you want to rank those guys, uh, player is a bit ridiculous. But did you want to talk about playoff expectations for the Suns right now this year? That's what you were saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We probably, I guess we probably should good... before all of our listeners tune out. <laughs> I, I guess the. I mean, I was ready to pounce on, on in defensive Steph Curry, but uh, yeah, I guess we should talk about the Suns. I guess the question started at what do you think about this season has changed? How has this season changed your expectations for what the Suns can do in the playoffs? I guess. Yeah, my, mine definitely changed once they got through. I I was worried in the the Florida road trip portion where it was like them just barely surviving these games and just completely falling apart in crunch time and I was like man they clearly need to play some better competition before the playoffs starts and then and then once they got through that and once we got to like even mid-April after the Jazz game things like that um I I was really ready to feel confident in them not only and again this is lower than where people were at but again I'm someone who wrote about it and really values playoff experience and have talked about it a lot. I feel really confident that they're, that they're going to win a playoff series, and I feel like they're going to be the favorite against most teams they play in the second round, albeit that's in the mental construct of the way playoffs, uh, the way the bracket normally looks, which is where, if it is what it should be in terms of where teams are seated, the Lakers should be first, correct? They're not first. So they could play them in the first round, they could play them in the second round, um, we, we don't really know yet, but I think that the Lakers are really the only team in the conference where I feel like the Suns are the underdogs in the series, and then I feel like everything else is them being slightly favored or just, like, outright, like, clearly favored. And you guys all remember, like, the conversations we had in our DMs, like, a couple months ago. Like, I was, I was like, I don't know, but, like, maybe the Mavs could. Like, no, like, they'd, they'd wash the Mavs. Like, I, I feel... Yeah. Very confident in that now. Yeah. I was slow getting there, but I got there. With the Warriors, I was saying some stuff too, but instead now I'm like, well, they'd still beat them, but I think they would bring more of a challenge to them. I mean, if Steph isn't um, even like better than Dame. any of those kind of teams, even Portland, like I don't I don't know. Go ahead, Sam. No, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. I said if Steph isn't even better, oh, than, better than Dame. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, <laughs> oh, look, dude, look. I, it, this is more of me like I'm a Dame Lillard stand. I get it. I'm going to be outside on streets protesting in 30. I'm going to be the old person who's like in my generation. I'm going to talk about Dame more than anyone. I think <laughs> I, I think I think he's I, amazing and, and very underrated and, you know, all, all that stuff. It's just Steph Curry changed the sport. I, um, I probably jumped the shark a bit. I just <laughs> um, and, but, but again, we're not going to get into that conversation. To, to echo your point, that stretch where we got we feel i think we all feel much differently about this team than we did two months ago that stretch where they played utah and they played the clippers and they played philly and they played milwaukee and they got like five and two through that stretch that was the end of the season for me <laughs> to be honest because like that was the the last point at which i was like oh yeah this team is good and since then this is where i want to take the conversation now 
what like you know this this week was kind of interesting with there were a couple of close games there was that close loss against golden state they they blew the lead and then there was this close win a controversial call at the end it was obviously a foul by the way but but still people are going to call it a controversial call um in that win against the blazers but what have you taken anything from the past like not just the past few games but the past couple weeks and in, in general how much trouble are you having deciphering what's real and and what's not right now um you know what's a mirage for for projecting towards playoff success and what's not i'm somewhere in the middle um i think that it matters that their mindset got in a certain spot clearly because there is a way for them to still run what they've been running the past couple of games, which is like David and others have been pointing out, they're clearly not using some stuff that they normally use. Their play in other areas, especially in that Golden State game, was at the point where it's like, okay, like you guys are not playing the way you just, your, your brand of basketball, for lack of better phrasing, you're getting completely away from that. And I, I think it's it can be a, a simple explanation, and like this is just my theory on it, is that once you start in, taking out those parts of your offense or your defense, it kind of mentally almost tells the players like, okay, like we're just getting to the playoffs basically. And and luckily, um, I don't say luck, luckily is the wrong way. Like if they didn't have this kind of win against Portland, they would have been screwed. Nothing like that. But um, it was good for them to have that type of win against Portland where it just required like a ton of hard work. Like that. that's what that game was. They just yeah. had to bust their ass for all four quarters to win that game, especially with the way, again, me praising him, how amazing Dame was in the fourth. Uh, they just had to work, and they did. That's about as far as I'm willing to go uh, in terms of that because what I talked about on our podcast was they've had an ability all season to like quickly reset, change direction, and get back to the way that they play. Like, you remember how horrible that Wizards loss was earlier in the year? How horrible and terrible that it was disgusting yeah. how bad yeah. they were in that game and just how much they didn't care. And yeah. then they quickly moved on from it. Like, they, it was, it just was a thing in the past. That Oklahoma City loss when they went eight and eight when Monty ran it was terrible. And then, and then that's when everything started. So, most that's fun. why I wasn't really that concerned. I still think there was something to take away from it. And specifically with the way certain players are playing as of late. Um, and with the way certain players aren't playing at all and seeing the court, which yeah. was something I wanted yeah. to ask you guys about in a bit. I think it was Mike who, who tweeted it a, a little bit ago about like mm-hmm. injuries and what they tell us and stuff. I can provide some insight on that, and I kind of wanted to ask you guys about that. But, yeah, before we go there, if you guys have anything else to add. Uh, yeah, I just want to remind you guys about the end of last season uh, in the play-in. The, the Trailblazers were really doing everything that they could to make the playoffs, and that meant that they were playing really, really well at the end of the last season to the point that people started making the case that the Trailblazers could beat the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs. Do you guys remember this? And uh, I don't, I don't, did, I will be honest, I don't remember that. Who was saying that? I mean, it's none, no, none of the analysts I would say that you regularly listen to, Sam. Uh, like the Bill Simmons, <laughs> Skip Bayless. Uh, okay, sure. You know, yeah, you know, I know the hot mean. take, the hot take artists. Yeah. And I think that the the regular, the the good analysts are more willing to take a larger sample size than and understanding that the teams that tend to be fighting for their playoff lives at the end of the season will be playing better. The teams that have secured playoff spots tend to fall off a little bit at the end of the season and then pick it up when the playoffs start. Now, just 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 a reminder that that did happen. Uh, but there's another thing that I wanted to bring up too that I thought was interesting that I looked at recently. Sam knows 
uh, Kellen, I'm not sure if you listen regularly, but I call the beginning of the season February 1st. I feel like that's when the Suns team just sort of clicked. And so a lot of times when I look up stats, I'll, I'll look up from February 1st on uh, because it felt like that first uh, few months of the season or month and a half of the season was them just sort of get, getting a feel for each training other. Training camp. Yeah, it was like training camp, a preseason and training camp. Yeah, I replied just to quickly interject. I, I replied to someone today and just said, like, I don't think people understand. They, they didn't play basketball in the offseason. Yeah. They had no one to play against because we were in a freaking pandemic. Like, yeah. yeah. And we they were? ramp up as quickly as they did. Like, <laughs> yeah, because remember, remember Book, I, I tweeted one of those um, quotes he had in one of the preseason games or uh, in one of the first games of the season. He's like, yeah, this is like basically like we're just getting like bump in. Yeah. Doesn't, These aren't regular season games to us right now. This is well, tangentially related. Up. Doesn't that kind of make it even more nutty? Like, you look at the guys who have improved this year. There have been so yeah. many most, not even just on the Suns, there have been so many most improved candidates across the league who are just fantastic uh, right. candidates for it this year. And I always go back to exactly what you're talking about, Kellen. I'm like, how did they do that? They didn't have a training camp. Yeah. They were not playing five on five uh, for, for most of the limited offseason that they had. Three on three, two on two. They were playing with each other and that was it. So like, how did it happen? They just, they just shot know. around and got 50% better, you know, like. Julius Randle, uh, Jeremy Grant, Christian Wood, guys, guys like that around the league. Like not just Suns players. Obviously, campaign got a lot better. Mikael Bridges, but like, I don't know all these guys. It's like how, why? MPJ is someone I got on right now. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's it's, crazy. it is. It is incredible. Uh, Hamadou yeah. Diallo there's, driving to the rack. There's right just now. so much science behind <laughs> player development in the NBA that I wish we understood. It, it's. I know what Eddie Johnson would say that they play more, they get better. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> that they're young and they're young legs, legs. That's all that matters. Since February first, I looked up the net rating in the clutch. Do you guys want to guess where the Suns rank in the NBA net rating in the clutch since February first? I'm gonna guess that the the one overtime in that Cavs game uh, skewed it to top five. <laughs> seventh. Uh, right between what you guys said, they're sixth in the NBA in the clutch. Cool in net rating with an 11.8 net rating. Uh, just to further bolster uh, Kellen's argument in favor of Damian Lillard, the Trailblazers in that time have a plus 31 net rating in the clutch. I mean, this is partially because... Is that good? Yeah. What's Golden State <laughs> saying? It's, it's Say number it. one. Golden State, let's look it up. Let's see. They are 24. Shut up. Interesting. No. Essentially, no. essentially the opposite of... <laughs> I imagine the numbers are different when Steph Curry's in and when he's not, but uh, also that team sucks. But anyway, one guy has uh, Jordan Poole fucking spotting up in the corner, and the other guy or on the wing, and the other guy is CJ McCollum. <laughs> this is not a fair comparison. I well, love this bit. Let me ask I you guys: it. Why do Suns fans seem to think that this team chokes away a bunch of losses when it used to happen a lot, like in previous seasons where the Suns did that, and this season it actually. I, hasn't happened that much. I think this it is, seems like there's still a narrative about it. I that. think this is a human psychology thing more than it's a sun specific <laughs> thing. No, seriously, like every No, Sam's right. Has there ever been a good team? The best teams in the NBA still lose twenty percent of their games. Like or even more, like twenty to thirty percent of their games. And so if you're the best team, you feel like you should beat everyone. There's always gonna be a narrative every time you drop a game of, oh, why do we you hear it all the time. We play down to our competition. Fans of good teams always say that whenever they lose a game. 
but not every great team in the history of the NBA can be playing down to the level of their competition. I just think that's like an overused cliche. I'm not really sure there's there's anything more to it than that. Yeah. Interestingly, in clutch time, they have the record for wins and losses for these specific games. The Trailblazers with that plus 31, they're 17 and 10. The Suns with plus 11.8 are 19 and 5. They actually Whoa. have the best record of any team in the top 10 of net rating in the clutch. So they're actually still, I mean, they're a Chris Paul team, right? So once they all clicked in and once they all started playing their games, they became one of the best teams in the clutch in the NBA as far as actually winning games, which is what matters the most. And I think there is an element of the Suns do tend to get out to big leads. And then when they start to stagger a little bit, teams eat their way back into that lead. And then the Suns kind of close it out, win by five at the end of the game. So fans just sort of get it in their head that they're losing these leads, but they still win. And isn't that what matters the most in these specific scenarios? I just found that stat to be really interesting compared to what a lot of fans seem to think. I'm sure it's somewhere, but you guys might know this. Someone listening might know this. Go ahead and tweet what it is, where they're at. But, like, time in the lead this season, they've got to be top three or top five in the lead. That's a fun stat. I would write these recaps, man, and I just kept writing. They were in control throughout, and then I had to figure out how to rewrite like they were just winning the whole time pretty much because they they had these games along with what Mike was saying where it's just they never felt like they were – they'd get down to like a six-point lead, then Chris Paul would just do three minutes of stuff, and then they're up 15 again, and it just felt like they were never really out of control of a game, and that's when it feels like they're not themselves – when they're not winning and completely like being the better team, which speaks to how fantastic they've been this year. But yeah, if anyone knows where that stat is, I was like kind of looking for it the other day, and I, I don't know where it is. I'm sure it's somewhere on one of these sites because like there's so many now beyond just NBA.com, which and Clean the Glass, which is what I mostly use these days. But they've been they've been awesome um, at that all year, and yeah, that's that's any team. You got to win what probably like 65 games to not have those issues. Mm-hmm. 70 yeah i think so which rarely rarely ever happens now looking forward looking forward you're thinking about the playoffs and where the suns are at right now uh it seems like it's going to be be, it's going to be the warriors of the lakers right that seems like where we're at i guess there's a possibility of there's the jazz dropping out of the first seed and it could be any one of those four um there's there's also still like a 10 again i keep quoting these odds i quoted them on our last podcast a few days ago just i think it's helpful to have a reference point um there's like a 10 percent chance that we drop to three still there's like a 10 percent chance of that so i wouldn't say it's gonna happen or anything but but there's like that means there's a 10 percent chance of playing dame in the first round too which doesn't scare me unless unless you drop we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To three and the <laughs> Lakers um, come up to six, which would suck. Steph Curry would scare me, though, I'll tell you. And Kellen will show up at the arena with one of those jerseys that the moms wear. Then they have a player on each of the team where half of it is Suns and half of it is Trailblazers. Every time Steph Curry does something wrong, you just hear on the broadcast from somewhere, Dame better. <laughs> just like all, just me just heckling from me. Oh around. my God. Back with more Kellen Olsen in just a second. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Can I ask my question to you guys? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I I derailed you a little bit. No, no, it's okay. It goes in exactly with where you were going, I think. So, Mike was alluding to it with his tweet, and sometimes, to kind of give insight with my limited five, six years of, like, being in uh, media scrums across different sports and with how certain coaches talk about injuries, that's kind of going with what I'm saying is that some coaches are very upfront. Like, we'll go on calls and... um, Gosh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Dwayne. No, it was Alvin Gentry a couple years ago. He's like, "Yeah, I'll tell you the starting lineup. I don't care." <laughs> like, yeah, sure. That's awesome. Like, oh, you yeah. want to? It's like, yeah, we'll we'll tell you. Yeah, so it's like going to be a couple of games. Right now, he's working on this. Like, that's a big thing in baseball. We've been talking about for a month how Cattell Marte is now running the bases after doing this and doing that, and they provide to you step by step improvement details sometimes on these guys. That is not what the Suns do. It has, has not been in my experience so far, and that's not really a basketball thing anyway, but yeah. in terms of just progress points and knowing, Monty especially, um, and I think this is no fault of Monty, a lot of the time I feel like he just doesn't know what he's allowed to say and not allowed to say, and which goes into some of like the COVID stuff we've been asking about the last year. It's just kind of been his choice, and like I'm completely fine with it. Um, but he's basically said about anyone whenever we ask that they're about their status, they're getting better every day. If you think about it, like they are getting better every day. That they are progressing. <laughs> so they're not getting worse. Sounds like a, a, a you want and the Suns to fire Monty. I swear, <laughs> I swear, guys, that's pretty much all he tells us every time. It, it's I, some I variation of that. So to that point. Yeah. When Cam Johnson, uh, apparently, who has been in that hard cast ever since he went back out again, but when I saw it, I was like, huh. Right wrist sprain. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, okay, we got like a week, week and a half. And, and kind of to that point of just the entire like 
thing I'm trying to preface here before I want you guys to talk about potentially Cam like being out or, or whatever um, is that there's just a limited amount of information we get on injuries and Abdul Nader had his sore left knee forever um, right now I do not think that is a DeAndre situation I do just I genuinely believe what Monty said which is that DeAndre came in he had a little bit of soreness in the knee and now we're just playing it cool and just waiting it, waiting to see what happens with the knee. This is something that I'm sure he would be playing through right now if he could because, again, he's listed as questionable. That's a key thing to pay attention to if you guys are interested in that thing. When a guy's questionable, when he goes down to out, when he's listed as doubtful, too questionable, probable, things like that. Those things matter. Um, so the fact that Cam Johnson has been listed as out for all these games, he had the hard cast on yesterday when I, I like walked down as close as I could go to the court without being one of the people who has an armband on because they're tested. Um and seeing the cast, I was like, oh, okay, are you going to be here next week? So to hand it off to you guys, my question is, what do you see if we're in the first game of a playoff series and Cam Johnson is out, what do you see as like the biggest changes in the rotation? How does it change the team? Who needs to step up more? Minute changes for some guys and so on because he's obviously one of the most important players on this team. Okay. So I just want to actually clarify what tweet you're referring to as well before I get into that. And what I said is the Suns not being fully forthcoming with their injury reports has got me a little shook. And that's just an honest assessment of this. Uh, because they said that Nader had a sore knee and he missed like 40 games with a sore knee. And then all of a sudden he had surgery. Uh, and it's not even just the era with Monty. I do feel like it's a Suns thing. I think even before Monty, there were times... TJ Warren had a minor head injury exactly. forever. That it just, exactly. just say it's a concussion. It's fine. Like, yeah. Won't Can, freak out. Quickly, with yes. the, I'm curious about the baseball component that you mentioned. I'm far from a baseball expert, but I was just thinking about that. Could that be because like baseball is so independent like there's not there's not much of a synergy component between teammates right it's like every guy is kind of just responsible for his own offense and there's not like i don't really know it doesn't really feel like chemistry comes into play all that much so it's either like you scout to a guy's tendencies or you don't but it feels like managers in baseball like wouldn't care about tipping their hat to, to who's available and who's not for that reason whereas in basketball a guy that's available has more of an explicit impact on each of the guys around him than in baseball right Maybe, yeah, maybe that's true. Um, I think that baseball just has easier progress points, too, like where this guy threw a 30-pitch bullpen as opposed to he threw in a sim game, a.k.a. like a simulated game that is supposed to simulate a real game. Wow, I just really said that. <laughs> a sim game, he threw like 70 pitches in a sim game is a significantly higher progress point than a 30-pitch bullpen or whatever. He was playing soft toss in the outfield for 15 minutes. Like, we hear all these variations that like are low and then, and then high in terms of like how much progress they're actually making. And I think baseball is like, it's easier to like mark for them as opposed to, Oh, he can run up and down the baseline now. That's my only guess. That would be my guess on that question. Okay, I'm not I was sure. just, it's, I just want to say uh, one, I hated all of that. Let's never talk about baseball again. Speaking uh, of listenership <laughs> stopping, that was, that was elite right there. That was and really two, good. it's just, we're getting really good at all, that. <laughs> all, all of the, updates that they provide are for gamblers just just remember that that that's the reason <laughs> the reason that they have so many rules specifically about injuries and guys being uh, probable questionable out whatever that's all gambling related so understand that whatever reason that you can think of it probably just comes back to gambling for that and remember i'm waiting to tell you specifically and only you the information you're asking about i have it i'm just not going to tell <laughs> you until you ask me and then i'll tell you yes and 
to your question though first of all i just want to give james jones some credit for how important uh the acquisition of tory craig is in yeah. that case uh because uh i felt at the beginning of the season that the Suns did not have quite the wing depth that they needed, specifically for scenarios like that, where they could end up with a guy missing some games. You know, Cam Johnson, we don't know. Maybe he'll be back for the uh, the Spurs game. I doubt it. I imagine even if he's minorly injured, they'll keep him out for those games. Maybe he'll be back game one of the playoffs. Maybe he won't be fully healthy and he'll still be back. We don't know. Uh, the point is, if he is out, they have somebody that can step in and do somewhat of a comparable version of what Cam Johnson does. Now, I've we'll hit this again and just say Cameron Johnson is, has been a good defender for the Suns this year. And Torrey Craig has been as well. When Cam Johnson is fully healthy, he's a better shooter. He's a better offensive player in general. So I think you're still missing an element of that, but I don't think it's a coincidence that we have seen more three guard lineups with the Suns in the plat in the past few weeks, uh, coinciding with the fact that Cameron Johnson is out. You need more shooting. You need more offense if Cameron Johnson isn't playing. Mm-hmm. And if you concede a little bit of size because of that, then and, and in favor of more ball handling and more attacking off the dribble, something Cameron Johnson has also gotten a little bit better at, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's something that they're going to try to do. And I think, you know, as good as Javon Carter has been playing, the most likely scenario is he's probably not going to play a lot in the playoffs and they can construct a three-guard rotation of Cameron Johnson, Chris Paul, Devin Booker. I'm sorry, Cameron Payne, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker. And with how good Cameron Payne has been playing, that means getting him on the floor with both of those guys to maximize the amount of minutes he's playing. I wouldn't be surprised. It's not ideal, obviously. You want to have everyone available you, yeah. in the playoffs. And it seems like Aiton's going to be available. But that's what I would guess that Monty would try to go to, as well as, of course, the obvious of more Tory Craig minutes. But what do you think, Sam? Yeah, I th- so... It's not ideal. I think you could patch something together, though. Um, Tory Craig, I will quickly say, he's shooting 30. This is crazy. He's shooting 37% from deep. Cam Johnson is shooting nuts. Cam Johnson is shooting 35%. That obviously doesn't match the eye test when you look at the way that teams guard them. Teams don't give a shit about Tory Craig spotting up for three. They will leave him completely open on the weak side. You can tell it's just not the same level of respect. And also, Cam is not, I, I think, you know, Cam's. Um, three-point percentage i think it was around like 37 percent maybe even 38 percent and just plummeted after he broke his nose and he hurt his wrist so i think you know if he comes back fully healthy i have decent faith in him i don't think he's the shooter he was advertised as being um coming out of the draft but i have decent faith in him reverting back to like he's a 37 38 percent shooter he'll hit you'll feel relatively confident with him in the corner much more so than craig um strangely though or underratedly i think kind of the the biggest thing you lose is not shooting related at all with cam it's it's his on-ball defense and there's such a benefit to having mikhail bridges and jay crowder in the nail help role um where they're so good they're they're just they're so good at anticipating and and plucking off plays and um you know it's not that those guys aren't able to play the wing stopper like primary defender role as well but like cam is so underrated at this point at just being a conservative defender who keeps the ball in front doesn't get blown by and then if you need to send help at like an elite forward you send help with with jay or mikhail so i think the biggest thing that tory craig actually has to do now and step up he's he's a terrific hustle piece we know what he can do like on the boards and everything but he has to play that role like that's that's kind of what he is now in the minutes that he plays um because i as good as mikhail and jay are i think 
the more you can kind of keep them in the help role, that's how you actually maximize this team's defense and, and hit on a lot of the things that had been making them so successful. Yeah, to to Sam's point, um, and, and really to what both of you were talking about, I think that a good way to think about Cam is kind of being the middle ground between Jay and Tori, um, because we can just, this is horrifying to say, and, and to quickly go on Sam's point, uh, whenever we hear about in the future about how pretty a guy's jump shot looks, but he shoots 37%, all Suns fans should be like, okay, that's great that it looks good. You should probably focus on that 37 number more than how good it looks. Because apparently, like, how good, it, like, Devin Booker and Cameron Johnson, two of the prettiest jump shots I've ever seen in my life, just, it, it makes no sense to me. It, it used to be a thing. It doesn't work anymore. I don't know if you guys get what I'm saying. but Oh, yeah, I get it. To, yeah. Yeah. To, yeah to, to that point, um, I, I think, like, looking at those three right now for what it is, which is, like, in gravity and all that stuff aside, um, Cam brings with him gravity as a three-point shooter. Jay brings... Just, I, I believe he's the best point five player of the three in terms of passing, quick decisions, mm-hmm. that kind of yep. stuff for sure. Driver a little bit. Um, all these guys can do that stuff, but he's just he's just the best out of the three. Tory, that's where you get rebounding, hustle plays a little bit more. And again, all three of these guys do it, but you just get a little bit more from each of those guys. Defensively, to what Sam was talking about, I think Cam has these on-ball defense moments where I like to call them like a possession stopper where there's 14 seconds left on the shot clock. Cam's guy dribbles at him for three seconds, doesn't get anywhere, picks up the ball, pivots, turns around, and goes, okay, who wants to have this with six seconds left on the shot clock? Because <laughs> yeah. we're yeah. done here. Hot potato, hot potato, yeah. Jay, Jay doesn't really have those possessions in him that much anymore. Tori obviously does. But uh, but Cam is kind of the middle ground of those guys as a defender where he's he's a pretty good help defender as well. Just looking at like the, the differences between those guys, and I think that – Cam is the is the most balanced of the three in all of those areas that I just talked about when we put them all together and help defense as well. So that's where I think him as like a there's like certain games that'll flow a certain way, right? Where you're feeling like ah, we we don't really need what Tori, and then we need more of what Jay brings, and then there's like the middle ground. I think that's what Cam has been for this team when all three of those wings have been out there. If that makes sense, absolutely. It's and you know what? It's probably matchup space, but is it slander of me to say that? To your point, the possession stopper thing. Like, is Cam almost better at that than Mikhail Bridges? Is is he? Like, I feel like Mikhail thrives so much in, in kind of picking off passes and, and help defense and, I, and finding ways to be disruptive with his length. But just as a one-on-one stopper, I don't... Is it... That's kind of... He's over. He's kind of overrated at that, he, I think. He, Can we call it first step intuition where the guy takes his first step and cam meets him there takes the chest bump and then it's over i think cam does that more than almost anyone on the team i think that part of the reason that is is because people have not adjusted to the fact that he's a good defender so they're more likely to go at him food right and and where they where they see mikhail bridges they tend to try to work a little bit more off the ball to find that space that's, they see Cam Johnson, they turn around and they want to isolate. I imagine there's not a ton of isolation possessions of any guy yeah. against Mikhail Bridges because his reputation has gotten so high. I think one of the weird sort of fallouts of if Cam Johnson does end up missing some time. Mike, can I add one thing, by the way? Sure. I know a lot of people listening and you two absolutely know this. I do not know anything. I'm not saying this in a cute way where I know he's not going to play again. Oh, of course. One. I do of not course. know anything. Every, a lot of people listening know that. A couple might not, just to be clear. I know nothing. I'm sorry, That's true. Continue. No, no, I appreciate that. 
you're getting mad at the aggregators like Bill Simmons, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, no, not even that. It's just like the idea that it. I I could see someone's brain going there. That's true. Uh, like Brian Windhorst has to say that before he says anything. Uh, but one of the fallouts of that, if he does end up missing time, is that. We've commonly talked about it on this podcast online. I'm sure you've talked about it as well, Kellen. Uh, Tory Craig at center minutes probably go away quite a bit because of that. There's weirdly Ooh. more pressure on Dario Saric uh, to play at that backup center position. You can't go as small without Cameron Johnson because you don't have as many interchangeable wings now. So, you know, Dario Saric now has to step up even more because of the loss of Cameron Johnson. I feel like when you have basically four of those guys, you can operate uh, as a smaller team in small ball center positions with Torrey Craig or Jay Crowder, whoever at center uh, because you have more of those guys. But I I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like because of the loss of Cameron Johnson, losing one of those guys, it makes it less likely that they can go as small as often. I think they could still do it but maybe not. Like, I think there's a chance in the playoffs they can play a team where Dario Saraj has played out of the rotation entirely, and they're just going to Torrey Craig at backup center, basically, and playing ultra small against a team that's just killing them with, with jump shots. Clippers. Yeah, Clippers is the main one, and I think yeah. even like the Trailblazers, if they end up against the Trailblazers, they could end up doing that, you know, Real even though they there, just yeah. even though they just beat them with the starter Dario Saraj, uh, you know. I still think that there's something that could happen in that specific scenario. So I don't know. Do you guys see that? Do you see the same way, Kellen? Yeah, for for sure. And it kind of just extends the, I've been talking about this with people the past couple of weeks and especially um, to like uh, Gina, Dwayne, Gerald, um, seeing all these people at the games and just saying, it's not going to feel like the Suns are in the playoffs until the buzzer sounds for warmups, and there's like that cheer from the fans that like the game's about to start right before the national anthem, that kind of thing. Um, I think either then starting lineups tip off somewhere in there. It's gonna like hit me that we're like we're doing playoff basketball starting. A lot of that has to do with the last ten years, yada yada. But to what we're talking about, I-, I wonder how much minutes are actually really going to fluctuate in in a playoff series for them. Um, because to something James Jones said on one of the broadcasts, either last game or a couple of games ago, like Dario has like a capped amount of limit of minutes, right? Because of DeAndre and DeAndre is going to need to be out there a certain amount of time. And yesterday proved exactly why, just because as a presence, you saw the pocket passes going to Dario and Frank and working, and I can make a bounce pass joke all I want. But the bottom line is because they don't have any gravity as rim runners, whereas DeAndre has a ton. That's Mm -hmm. the difference right there. And that's why that space is there. So I I wonder with level of play and stuff, like how much are we going to see where like, oh man, like Chris can't go below 38 minutes. Like we just like, that's an extreme example with his age and stuff. But then again, like this is the playoffs where those numbers go super high. Is Book going to play 42 minutes a night? Like with the way campaign has been playing, I really don't think that's going to be the case. And that's probably the worst example. Yeah. Is it going to be a thing where in the first game or two, Mikel is having one of those unfortunate stretches, and now he's down to 24 as opposed to where he could be to 38? I have no idea how it's going to play out, but I'm just super curious to see who are the two to three guys on the team where we're going to see their minutes fluctuate the most from where we are in a standard regular season um, sort of rotation. Like I, It's obviously going to be more of the hit or miss guys, mm-hmm. but are we going to be having one of those three-minute stretches with Dario or Frank were like man we got to get DeAndre back out there already yeah like I I wonder where that's gonna happen if you've got everyone healthy so this means you need to have 
cam back so you have the full wing rotation but if we have everyone at full health then i'm basically assuming that the four guys who have to play well it's tough the three guys who have to play are cam cam and tori and then the fourth guy who has to play is one of frank or dario i would i would say dario dario has been better throughout the season i think i i i think I don't know. If I had to guess, I would say Monty's going to start with Dario um, over Frank in that situation. But Dario is really the guy who I look at, and I'm like, he could have games where he plays 24 minutes. Aiton gets into foul trouble. Um, maybe the Suns are, are struggling moving the ball from side to side. You know, I, I can imagine a game where Booker gets trapped. I mean, I can imagine basically every game <laughs> where Booker gets trapped a lot from the get-go. You need, like, a short-roll playmaker. Okay, Dario plays a lot of minutes. Then I can see games against certain teams where you want to go small Aiton has been great. Dario doesn't necessarily have it. You push Aiton to the max of what he can do, which is probably, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say Aiton is, Aiton's never played like 40 minutes in a game. I don't think that's not really something he's ever had to do. But if you can push him to 36, 37, that's pretty good. So, yeah, th- I mean, there's games where Dario could play 24 minutes in my mind, maybe even like 30. There's games where he could play five minutes in the playoffs. And I, I just, I have no idea what we're going to get. Yeah, it's a weird scenario where the standings are still, like, in. I mean, credit to the league, I guess, for the play-in. Everyone wants to talk about it this time of year, but everything can change in these next few games pretty dramatically. I think the only team that's, like, fully locked in their spot is the Spurs at 10 in the West, I think. Uh, Maybe the Denver Nuggets. Which, speaking of which, um, in case, just in case anyone listens to this before the game's tomorrow... Um, has something to do with the fact that you look at the injury report tomorrow and DeMar, Trey Lyles, Jakob Pertl, uh Derek White are all out. Rudy Gay and Murray are questionable. Yeah. Quote-unquote questionable, by the way. Quote-unquote. Right. They are questionable. <laughs> Interesting. Do you, do you know a secret? <laughs> I mean, do you know well, something? W- People say you no. know something. Uh, that's my joke. <laughs> the people have been talking, Kellen. <laughs> Are they, they really going to play? <laughs> you know more Why than... Why would they play if they're questionable when there's nothing on the line? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, and, you know, I, I always think there's a weird magic voodoo when pop rests guys where they just win. Real... Uh, anyway. Real quick. So, we know, So, I should uh, research this. Do we just need the Jazz to lose one? Is that all? If the Suns win out, yes. So, the Jazz are... <laughs> The Jazz are up 27 over the Thunder right now, as we speak. <laughs> so I don't think they're dropping that one. So essentially, the Suns need to win two games over a depleted Spurs team that has nothing to play for, which in theory should not be too difficult. The difficult part is hoping that the Jazz drop a game to the Kings, who are now eliminated on Sunday, which does not sound that likely to me. Yeah, I mean, teams like to play spoiler in that scenario. When you have nothing to play for, that's the only thing you have to play for, so... I guess there's a small possibility that they all sort of rally together. And I mean, is Rashawn Holmes our only hope? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> more, more or less, yes. <laughs> did you guys see him saying he thinks he should be on all defense on the worst defensive team of all? Time, I did, but 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 I love him. But I love him. God bless him. I'm not trying to make fun of him, but God bless. He him. is one of two okay defenders on that team. In fairness, you cannot. He's not bad. He's got the best minute. The, the minutes Suns, of him on the floor are the best. The Suns were the worst defensive team this season that Rashawn was on our team too. And like, I think they had the worst defensive rating. If, if it wasn't the worst and it was bottom three, but anyone who watched Rashawn every night could obviously tell, I mean, look, I don't think he's an all defensive player. Like that's, that's ridiculous. He's, he's just being confident. He's, he's, right. he's allowed to do that. Anyone who watched him knows he's, he's a solid though on that end. He really is. 
there's there's no. more to defense. You can't just have a rim protector and then a bunch of bums and build a good defense out of that. You'll never be able to do that. Kellen, I'm going to ask you one last question here. It's a two-parter question, I guess. What do you think is the best situation for the Suns as far as where they end up here? And how confident are you in Monty Williams as a playoff coach? I will commonly say that it NBA coaches matter the most in the playoffs. In, in a lot of ways, there's no practice in the regular season. There is some preparation that goes into a lot of games. It's more of a game manager in the regular season. The playoffs, there's a lot more strategy when it comes to coaching and a lot more preparation. So where do you think the Suns should want to end up here in you know, in these last two games and however it plays out? And how do you feel about Monty Williams at this point after all of we've seen from him? From what I can tell, the most realistic kind of thing, I don't think it's realistic to expect them to jump to one. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. From what I can tell... The Lakers accidentally win two games. Whoopsie. Um, and then the Blazers lose to the Nuggets because the Nuggets want to win in case they can get to the three. Um, but they might be cool with staying at four anyway. That's the thing. I can't figure out what Denver wants to do. That's like the big thing in this. Like they rested guys today, so I'm assuming who, they're, they're just cool at four. Who are the Lakers playing again? Um, are, they, are they playing bad teams, right? But pacers who are missing everyone oh, like everyone's yes. roster is just dead because again that ramp up was just awful um and then uh pelicans, pelicans on sunday man this could yeah. this could happen that could happen and for so the record the, Lakers, the nuggets yeah, actually the nuggets actually admitted essentially to uh trying to get the most advantageous uh playoff matchups that you know oh, interesting teams will very rarely admit to uh finagling themselves a little bit <laughs> into the right spot uh but the nuggets uh, michael malone said something like we're trying to play for the most advantageous playoff positioning uh, matchup or something like that so they essentially as close as you can come to admitting that you'll tank a game if you have to yeah i would assume Jokic isn't going to play on sunday then if that's the case i'm going to pull up his minutes right now and see how many yeah he's only played 26 minutes tonight like they're not even He's, he's running out there, and, I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're killing the Pistons right now anyway, who have 81 points right now with six minutes left in the game. Just Ooh. God bless them. Um, so I guess to kind of that point, I think the most realistic thing, and, and I'm starting to shoot it down already, Lakers accidentally win both games. I think that could happen. But the question is if the Blazers can lose on Sunday to Denver because Denver has something to play for, which it looks like they might not even have something to play for or want that something to play for. Uh, because if the Lakers and Blazers, the Blazers win once, Lakers win twice, they're tied. That's where the tiebreaker kicks in, and, and that's that. Like, the Lakers are still at seven. Um, but I guess what could happen is Portland could lose. They drop to seven. Now they're somewhere in that plan mix, and, like, maybe you draw them at, in the 2-7, um, or, or maybe you don't necessarily. Now, of course, the best-case scenario is Denver actually wants to win. They want to get to three. They beat the Clippers. The Clippers dropped to four. The Suns are now in the 2-3, potentially, so their second-round matchup is the 3-6. But again, in this kind of situation, that means that they just avoided the Lakers for a round, and now they're playing the Lakers in the second round. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of like the mixed-in um, madness here. So I guess it maybe the Lakers are at... I still can't figure this out. Like the Lakers at eight, I guess? Like They lose the first plane and win the second one, and then you avoid them until yeah. the Western Conference Finals? Yeah. My entire pitch here is just avoiding the Lakers. Like The Clippers are what they are. I think that's a 50-50 series, which should obviously is 
I think it's Lakers, you're not favored. Clippers is 50-50 down the line with maybe the Clippers slightly favored just because of a lot of experience. They just got a Baca back tonight, by the way, which is big for them. He's been out for you two think, months. You think, wait, wait, stop. You, you, sorry. <laughs> you think Clippers is 50-50? What did you say Lakers is? Lakers, they uh, the Suns would be the underdog. I think like I heavy? Underdog, but I said yeah. Lakers as underdog. But I, I'm so what, I, I, uh, in in Vegas, like in Vegas, I think to win the series, I think the Suns would be at least like plus one fifty. I guess I'm curious least. about like I know they're the reigning champs, and I know they're not. They haven't been healthy this year, so they deserve more respect than they're getting because there's an assumption of of a full strength Lakers team that we just haven't seen. But I guess I just I struggle to get there. Like, what's making up the difference between the the Lakers Clippers projection? LeBron. Uh, Le- just LeBron. LeBron. It's just it's just LeBron. Just um, LeBron? You know what I mean. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like the guy who has yeah, I, I'm sure you guys saw my spiel on him already like the past couple of times. Yeah, yeah. sure. But like um, we've it, seen So it's so it's it's a combination of factors um that I've that I've talked about a lot before, but I but right. I, I can definitely go through them. So matchup for one, I think stylistically you look up and down. You can say Memphis is a far less talented team than the Lakers and all that kind of stuff, but you could say stylistically they have certain parts of the way they play that don't match up well with the Suns. Yes, yeah, not a good I'm matchup. saying that talent aside, stylistically, the way that the Lakers play and the way their team is constructed you're right. is the worst matchup you, for no, the right. Suns. Yes. Because defense good defense leads to good offense. I was so sick of hearing that for a couple of years before the Suns were <laughs> good this year. And then it turned out like, whoa, that's super true, especially for this Suns team specifically. I don't know who guards Anthony Davis. I guess it's DeAndre Ayton or Jay Crowder for some stretches. And we love Mikel, or, or do we? I, I don't know. Like, is he more yes. of a top five defender, top <laughs> 20 defender? No, we, lo- we love Mikel. He's, he's yeah. The, 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 true, Mikel, the true second best player on the Phoenix Suns, yeah, I love him. Whatever you think of Mikel, the LeBron James that he has seen in the regular season is not the LeBron James he would see in the playoffs, who would right. be going downhill at him every single possession, exactly. and he wouldn't be able to stop it. He, he just wouldn't be able to stop it, because it's LeBron freaking James, the best player of all time. You just hope for a not fully healthy LeBron. That's that's really all you can really do in that in that case. So I think there's more the of a chance, that, I think there's more of a chance, though, that you get a not fully healthy LeBron in AD than there is a chance of... The Clippers shoot less than forty percent from deep against you over a seven-game series, which is not going to happen. What percentage point are you putting at them at when you say not healthy? Right, that's as a good healthy, one hundred percent. I still think if they're eighty percent, they win the series. I just we're splitting hairs. I mean, we, we can end the yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, we can yeah, end yeah, the episode yeah. at this point. I still maintain. When I watched the Lakers game the other day, it it was very clear to me. It was jarring. It was very clear to me that it's a bad matchup for the Suns. I still think I'm more afraid of the Clippers. I, I just still think I am. I think that team is so I good, don't. top to bottom, and, and, and that matters a lot. Not to mention, I know he's not LeBron, but like we've seen Kawhi do the LeBron thing almost as recently uh, in the playoffs. Isn't that crazy? Like they have Kawhi Leonard, right? That's I, yeah. it's just that team scares me more. But don't they still they have do. like the highest? They have the highest collapse potential. Of of like at least higher than the Lakers. Like I feel like LeBron has yeah. done it over and over and over again. Paul George still has yet to do it. And I don't know. I kind of feel like they're the Clippers. I kind of feel like Paul George has as much collapse potential in the playoffs as Anthony Davis. I think. So to to Mike's point on like collapse potential, that's kind of what I was saying with Kawhi. Is like the Clippers are a meme, but then you remember they have Kawhi, who is just like an absolute 
freak, and they, they had him last year, though, in the playoffs, too, to that point. Yeah. But to go back to the Lakers thing, defense to offense, I, I think there's a struggle there because of just those two matchups, and they're two of the top five best players in the world when they're all fully there. I think Davis especially defensively to go to the other side of the court, wherever they play Davis, wherever they put him in certain matchups, where they put LeBron, again, you're talking about two of the f- best seven, eight, nine, ten defenders in the league. They're, they're incredible. And if you look at matchups that we're talking about on the other way, like LeBron, AD, obviously Chris Paul and Dembuker are in different strengths, and like they're they're very good players. But I actually think that the Lakers have, and again, people are going to completely misrepresent the way I say this, and that's fine. I'm willing to say it anyway. That I think, like you look at Schroeder, Caruso, Matthews, Caldwell Pope, the bodies they can at least throw. They're capable defenders. I just, whenever I've watched the Lakers, again, number one in defensive rating this year. The way those guys move around, the way they physically get into guys, and the way they're able to execute a game plan, take those guys out of the game when they could, um, has been really impressive to me. And just all of those factors together go into what Sam was asking about in terms of like the gap there. I just think that there's no where I'm looking for. If they didn't have anyone who I thought like Book could just run through, like if he's like Portland. Gary Trent Jr. like last year for example or Norman Powell this year like you don't have anyone who can guard him I think that like KCP and Matthews are are slightly capable there they're not going to stop him they're not really going to do a ton on him but they're they're more capable KCP and the Lakers scheme as a whole the Lakers as a team more specifically because Portland's like a garbage defense Lakers as a team and the way they execute is there so all of that kind of just together as one is is why I feel like the Lakers are such a scary matchup for them and why they'd be the favorites for sure. I feel like I have watched Devin Booker destroy Wesley Matthews for years and years and years. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to point that out. Uh, so I'm less scared of him than I am of KCP. But I, it would I, be I, KCP majority. It would be like the way yeah. Cam Johnson's going to spend like a couple possessions on LeBron in that exactly. matchup. That would be Wes in, in that thing. Yes, I think you hope that you can get KCP in quick foul trouble there. Although LeBron's yeah. been an excellent defender this year, uh, he's been really good man. when he he's when really he's played. Good. So to his credit, that he's right there too. Um, I think yeah, I think we've gone long here, so we'll we'll go ahead and end this one now. I think we're going to come back once the Suns actually know their uh, matchup, and we'll break it down a little more uh, in a little more detail. If it does end up being the Lakers, we can talk about what could be a potential game plan that would benefit the Suns in that scenario because I think that's going to be an interesting conversation and, of course, talk about the difficulties of defending them. Uh, Kellen, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone, read what he writes at ArizonaSports.com. Follow him on Twitter. Is there anything else that you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, sure. Our podcast, Empire of the Suns, will be breaking down everything on, I believe, what my plan is right now, Tuesday. Uh, they announced that the first playing games for the West are going to be on a Wednesday. On Tuesday on ArizonaSports.com, I'll be looking at all four of those teams that are going to be in the play-in and how the Suns did against them in the regular season. If anything stands out matchup-wise, I obviously just told you guys all the Lakers part, so just don't read that part if you listen to this, I guess, <laughs> but you can read the other three. Um, like Memphis, San Antonio, because that could very well wind up being the matchup because that's the beauty of the play-in. Obviously, Golden State we saw recently, uh, and we'll, we're just really going to be hammering it. Even even next week when it feels like the Suns are just sitting there doing nothing for a week, we're going to have a lot of stuff. I have a column, capital C, coming soon um, that I don't know when it's running. It was maybe supposed to run sometime this week. We didn't get to, but just basically along the lines of Chris Paul's player option, the two big extensions coming what should they do? Spoiler alert, 
pay Chris Paul whatever he wants, pay Mikel <laughs> Bridges whatever he wants. We'll yeah. see on the third guy. Wow. Um, Stirring the pot. Looking forward to reading that. Looking forward to reading. Thank you so much for joining us, Kellen. Thanks, guys. You know, Chris, it's going to be a very unique situation in the playoffs this year. You know, normally when you're a one seed or a two seed, you kind of get an easier game. This year is going to be, you guys can play the Lakers in the first round. You can play the Warriors in the first round. Man, Chuck, Chuck, I, I hate to cut you <laughs> off, man, but I've been to West my whole career. West ain't never been easy. I don't care who you playing, what, what, what series it is, what game it is. You know what I mean? I, I played in New Orleans, you know, when I was in that uh, division with Memphis, Houston, with Yao and T-Mac and Dallas when they was nice with Dirk and Stackhouse and all them. The West always been a beast. So if you try to match up with somebody else, you can still get get it handed to you. <laughs> just you just know that. You know what I mean? You can't dump nobody if you really think you want to win it all. You got you to gotta go through it. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.